You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Breaking news now from one of Vancouver's most popular attractions. The Vancouver Aquarium tonight says the fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic may force it to close permanently. Nadia Stewart joins us live with the details. Nadia, they are asking for funding, but how much do they need? Well, typically they generate about $3 million a month in terms of revenue from ticket sales, but they say that that has pretty much gone down to zero. It takes about a million dollars a month to keep the aquarium running, but with the doors shut, that is a huge challenge for them. They have laid off already 345 people. That happened in March. That's about 60% of the team. So the next step, as you mentioned, Sophie, would have to be more drastic. They are looking at closing the doors unless they get some sort of support. So they are calling on help from the community, whether that is through, through donations or also from any level of government, the municipal, provincial or federal government. Typically, they do not receive help from the government by way of operating grants, but they're hoping for some sort of support that could help them to keep the aquarium afloat. Back to you guys. All right, thanks for that. Nadia Stewart reporting for us at the Vancouver Aquarium tonight. Now to the numbers. BC has recorded its first COVID-19 death in the Interior Health region. And we are seeing a jump in the number of new cases. There are 44 new cases today, which brings BC's total to 1,561. Three more people have succumbed to the virus. That is 75 lives lost in B.C. Keith Baldry has more on how health officials explain the spike in cases and the factors raising concern around the spread of the virus. We are not at the end of our beginning yet. As COVID-19 cases continue to mount, Dr. Bonnie Henry is warning the extraordinary situation we all find ourselves in will not end for quite a while yet. And normal is going to look quite different for some time. It's not going to be the same as what it is today, perhaps, but there are some measures that we are not going to be able to, to stop doing until we have enough immunity in our community. Still, the numbers continue to be fairly stable, as hospitalization cases are essentially static in number, as are those in intensive care. And recovered cases continue a steady rise and now approach the 1,000 mark. But there are mounting concerns about the situation at the Federal Mission Correctional Facility. More than 40 people there have now been tested positive, and now anyone discharged from that facility will be required to go into self-isolation. We are going to be actively supporting people who are released from mission, who are staying in BC to make sure that, we, uh, that they can safely self-isolate and that they have the provisions they need and that they have the follow-up they need in case they do become ill in that um, critical incubation period. The death of a COVID-19 victim in the interior, the first for that health authority, is unusual given that the man was only in his 60s. Global News has learned he was a recent overseas traveler who was trying to recover at home. I will tell you that he, he was mostly at home, but had been um, had gone into the hospital uh, with an acute condition just prior to his death. And Dr. Henry couldn't emphasize one key point enough today. Her measures and restrictions will shape our lives for weeks to come, if not longer. After the end of April, um, we don't, I don't see any, foresee any changes to what we're doing in the, in the coming two weeks, three weeks, because it is going to be some weeks before we can let up even a little bit. 
some weeks, as she uh, has told us a few times now. Mm -hmm. Keith Baldry joins us now with details of a change coming to the way health officials have been delivering their updates. Keith? Yeah, these two have been working very hard, of course. 50, uh, I think today was the 52nd briefing of Dr. Bonnie Henry and uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix have provided, working six days a week. So change starts tomorrow. No briefing tomorrow, folks. I know it's a very popular TV show, every live on BC1, every day at 3 o'clock and on our uh, global website as we live stream it. But no live briefing tomorrow. Numbers will be provided at 3 o'clock. Back to a major briefing on Friday in the morning uh, after we get the, the what's called the model models that are coming out from Dr. Bonnie Henry and her team team showing how BC is going in different scenarios. Next week, uh, we're probably not going to be getting a briefing on Friday, which means I may take a day off. Uh, but we are going to be having Dr. Bonnie Henry and a, a Health Minister Adrian Dix on the news hour Monday night for an hour uh, for another live town hall. So they'll answer your questions that you can pose to them through us. All right. We're looking forward to having them as our guests once again. Thanks okay. for that, Keith. Okay. As always. All right. Thank you. No surprise. Premier John Horgan has extended B.C.'s state of emergency for another two weeks at least to slow the transmission of COVID-19. As Richard Zussman reports, while Horgan is talking about eventually easing restrictions and even a return to school, the timeline is still very much up in the air. A sign of the times. We still have more work to do and therefore uh, the cabinet today uh, reaffirmed uh, the state of emergency, extending it for another two weeks. Premier John Horgan ensuring the province has all the tools necessary to deal with the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. What the tools fail to provide are any clues on when things may get to the point where BC's economy can reopen. We saw this early, we've addressed it early, and we will perhaps come up from underneath it early, but the data, the science will direct us in that regard. But what indicator the province is looking at is still unknown. It's unclear if restrictions will be lifted, even if the number of new cases continues to go down. We're all turning to John Horgan and saying, so what's the plan now? Do we do this indefinitely or is there a plan at all? We've seen a lot of problems listed by the Premier, but not many solutions. Part of the government's plan is an economic recovery task force, meeting once a week, but releasing few details on what recovery looks like. Horgan acknowledging British Columbia is in a far better place than other jurisdictions, and that could benefit parts of the economy, including the film industry competing with places in the United States much harder hit by the virus whether it's television, um, major motion pictures, all of that activity. We want it to come back to BC as quickly as possible. The province is also looking at reopening schools, but that's far from a done deal. I look at my colleagues across the country who set arbitrary dates uh, for a return uh, before the data was in, before the science was confirming that, and we're not going to follow that lead. The public will get to see some of that data soon. The province releasing the next set of models on Friday. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The federal government is expanding the pool of people who are eligible for the $500 per week Canada Emergency Response Benefit. Part-time, seasonal and contract workers can all now apply. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, many Canadians say they need some financial help, but they still aren't eligible. From the outset, the CERB has been attacked as being incomplete. The program didn't capture enough people. The Liberal government has been filling the holes even as the money begins to roll out for Canadians. Wednesday, another stopgap. I can announce that we are expanding the Canada Emergency Response Benefit to include people making up to $1,000 a month, seasonal workers, 
and people whose EI has recently run out. There are still likely more than a million Canadians who need help that won't qualify. According to employment lawyers, this announcement thin on details. Presumably that means that you will have your salary reduced to $1,000, so we need some more details, but that is certainly welcome news. The details of much of what the Prime Minister announced Wednesday are still to come, including wage top-ups for essential workers and rent breaks for commercial tenants. BC Premier John Horgan says finding people who fell through the cracks is a top priority. Keeping pace with the federal announcements is a major challenge for our finance people as they bring forward, as the federal government brings forward programs, we're looking at how we can complement those. With talk of loosened restrictions on people as the first wave of COVID-19 peaks across Canada, government leaders reminding everyone, Canada still a long way from anything resembling normal. It's not happening yet. If we reopen too soon, everything we're doing now might be for nothing. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart is on the defensive tonight over his city's COVID-19 financial crisis. Vancouver has asked the provincial government for a major bailout. Other Metro Vancouver cities are saying times will be tough, but they'll be able to weather the storm on their own. Ted Chernecki reports. Just in case you missed it over the long weekend, Vancouver's mayor was repeating his dire warning. We are experiencing a global economic meltdown not seen since the Great Depression, something no Vancouver City Council has ever experienced. And to be clear, even though there are 15,000 businesses in Vancouver now closed, he says he never used the word bankruptcy to describe a possible fate. This was also the first time since the weekend we've been able to ask him why other cities like Surrey and Burnaby are not seeking $200 million from the province. His answer? Vancouver is the only city that he knows of that conducted a survey on the public's inability to pay property taxes. If we have large-scale property tax defaults, which would absolutely devastate uh, the finances of any city. And so I know I'm taking heat for this, but I wanted to tell people what I know, the best information I have. And so I don't actually think their situations are different than ours. Vancouver again asked the province for some direction. Will it be there to help financially or not? The city needs to know, and now. I don't dismiss uh, Mayor Stewart's concerns, but those concerns are echoed right across the province. And we are still trying to figure out where we go as a province, where our regions need support. This is a budgeting nightmare being played out across the province in virtually every municipality. What is reasonable to accomplish in, in what is left in the year and what does that look like? Uh, many are choosing a path of prudence, focusing on delivering those core needed services. Many municipalities have asked the province to expand its deferred property tax program to include stressed homeowners under the age of 55. Will that happen? We are making this up as we go, as the problems emerge. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Breaking news now out of Squamish, where crews are scrambling to contain a wildfire that's burning out of control. RCMP are evacuating people from the Butterfly Lake area in the Squamish Valley, as well as Levette Lake and Evans Lake, as the fire is moving in that direction over the mountains and through very dry conditions. The fire has now jumped past Cloudburst Crescent and is moving rapidly to the east. It began as a slash fire, but it got out of control 
Air support has been called in. Right now, fire teams are on the west side of the fire trying to bring it under control, and we'll keep an eye on it for you and bring you any updates as necessary. Well, more support is coming to improve travel conditions for commercial truck drivers. The B.C. government is funding the installation of portable toilets at several commercial vehicle pullouts throughout the province. Work began last weekend with around 20 portable toilets slated for installation and more being added in coming weeks. All 203 rest areas, which are equipped with toilet facilities, will also remain open. These measures are all in a bid to support the trucking industry, which is essential to maintaining the supply chain throughout this pandemic. Another Vancouver business already struggling with the COVID-19 shutdown is reeling tonight from the spike in commercial break-ins. This time it's an art gallery. And as Romina Dea reports, once again, the loss is in the thousands. Three valuable paintings vanishing overnight from the Space and Art Gallery in Yaletown. Honestly, I didn't believe it at first. Olga Rabalko's landscape piece, gone, along with two other works from local artists. The value, about $10,000. Another $4,000 in art supplies, also stolen. The arts is really struggling in this situation right now, and to have um, no salt rubbed in the wound of this issue, it's a really difficult thing to swallow. It's unclear how the suspect gained access to the gallery. The couple left on Easter Sunday around 4 p.m. When they returned Monday morning at 11, there was no damage to the front door or the window. A busted lock on the back door, which leads into a hallway shared by other businesses, the only evidence of forced entry. Vancouver police are canvassing the area for surveillance video. We feel that this person is an artist and we are very tied into the art community, so we do know a lot of artists. But we'd like to think that it was more random so that we don't have to worry about the people in our community having wanted to steal from us. It's just so random. It's just such an unusual kind of theft. And, and um, what we do know is that the wait times for art supplies online right now is increasing day by day. The couple's Instagram post has garnered immense community support and a possible lead. We had someone message the gallery through Instagram saying that they actually bought two of the paintings and a bunch of other canvases. Um, we don't know where they got them um, or how they obtained them, but they said they're going to return them. So that's, we're very hopeful. Romina Dea, Global News. Right now, though, despite concrete evidence from the long weekend that most British Columbians are staying very close to home, some residents of B.C.'s small towns and resort communities still say they're seeing way too many visitors. Now some are threatening to take matters into their own hands. Brad McLeod reports. Our message is, we're sorry, but the coast is closed. At least one small business owner on the Sunshine Coast saying he will block those getting off at the Langdale Terminal next May long weekend if the government doesn't do more to stop unwanted visitors. Andrew Bonici is already printing up these signs. All other sailings other than the very first sailing of the day to the Sunshine Coast will be blocked to vehicle traffic. We are concerned about a lot of other people coming here and the impact on the curve that we've been very diligent in trying to keep flat. The Sunshine Coast and Vancouver Island have some of the largest senior populations in the country. People here are just panicking. 
even a small fraction of the typical long weekend travelers is more than residents want to see. Care for people. And despite it's, it's, her calm demeanor, kind of to those living in tourist hotspots, the provincial health so, officer um, can come I'm across as dismissive. There is no um, benefit, and we've seen that around the world, from trying to block people from coming into uh, an area. The feeling I know in some places um, that was much stronger than the, f the data from BC Ferries supported. I mean, yes, ferry traffic was down, but it was up from what was there before the long weekend. North Cowichan's mayor just sent this letter to Bonnie Henry, supported by 25 other Vancouver Island mayors, asking to enforce essential travel only beyond the honor system at BC Ferries. The premier prefers to keep enforcement to a minimum and says most people are listening. I think public scorn is as effective a tool as uh, a fine or a ticket. Decidedly not enough to stop plans to blockade the Langdale Ferry in May. Yes, there is a small group of people who've expressed that they might take things into their own hands. I think it speaks to the fear in the community. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. Our next story might surprise you that there appears to be no slowdown in the birth tourism industry even as the rest of the economy fizzles. The controversial practice continues to be advertised without government interference. Paul Johnson reports. Selling the benefits of Canada and its public health system. These are promotional videos obtained by Global News from apparent birth tourism businesses that make arrangements for foreign women to come to Canada and have their babies here for the express purpose of getting the child a Canadian passport. This man touts the state-of-the-art facilities at Richmond Hospital, which critics say is a hotbed of the schemes. This is very brazen. BC Liberal MLA Jez Johal is one of few elected officials who've spoken publicly about the need to shut the schemes down. This says we're not a Afraid. This says that government's done nothing. Since years before the coronavirus pandemic, activists have been complaining that birth tourism makes a mockery of our institutions and puts unnecessary strain on our public health care system. Despite that, not a single level of government, local, provincial or federal, have taken steps to crack down on it. At least one of the videos appears to date back to 2018. And while the current travel shutdown would presumably keep birth tourism customers out of the country, it's unknown how many had made it in this year prior to the restrictions. Data from previous years at Richmond Hospital shows about one in five babies there were born to non-resident parents. Global News reached out to the federal immigration minister Wednesday, where a spokesman said they are cracking down though they didn't elaborate about their methods. This can be handled quite simply by the federal government by simply stating and putting in a law that says that if you come here on a tourist visa, which most of these mothers do, and have a child here, your child will not get a Canadian passport. In Richmond, Paul Johnson, Global News. A group of Good Samaritans is making a huge difference in the lives of a number of Burnaby seniors by bringing them into the age of technology. The group, spearheaded by Burnaby Hospital trustee Michael Cole and his stepdaughter Natasha, answering a call put out by Burnaby Hospital Foundation. They have been gathering up iPhones and iPads. 52 of the devices have now been donated to seniors in isolation in the hospital to allow them to stay in touch with friends and families while stuck behind closed doors. 
Financial hardships many B.C. businesses are facing is forcing many to seek alternative ways to find cash by gutting their shops and selling off their assets. Auction houses are seeing an uptick in business with a wide variety of goods. And as Jordan Armstrong reports, a lot of online buyers are swooping in to bid. From shipping containers to restaurant equipment. This is a Woodstone pizza oven. It was used for about six months. They originally paid about $50,000 for it. The current bid on it right now, I believe, is about $600. Able Auctions is flooded with new inventory. We're a lot busier. I don't know that sales are up at all. Three, 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 the auctions are minus an auctioneer. Hey, what do you want to say? $100. All bids and sales are now exclusively online. Classic example of how our auctions are changing is the upcoming Vancouver Police Recovery Auction. That used to be a one-day event where we would have thousands of people attend, and it was a very exciting event. We've now broken that up into five days. Each day is a week apart so that we can carefully schedule the removal of all the items. As many businesses shut down, only a few can expect a decent return on assets. Consumer goods like barbecues should sell okay. All sorts of high-end restaurant equipment. But restaurant equipment has plummeted in value. The contents of a former pizza shop, which only a few months ago would have sold for $70,000, could now fetch only 30 grand. We've had a lot of conversations about how is the market, how are things going to sell. And I've, I've told them, you know, we know what the market's like right now. It's tough. I don't know what it's going to be like three months from now or six months from now. It might be a lot tougher. While it's a tough decision to permanently cash out, many feel it's their only choice. Business isn't easy at the best of times, but battling through this isn't a battle they want to fight. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. B.C. government and private liquor stores will be open longer. Starting immediately, liquor stores will be allowed to stay open from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. The government suggesting the early morning hours be set aside for seniors and people who are immunocompromised to give them an opportunity to stock up while maintaining physical distance. Under the new rules, delivery services are also allowed to pick up and even purchase liquor products on behalf of customers. These temporary rules will be in place until at least July 15th. It was one of the industries hit hardest and early by the pandemic and social distancing. Today, a new campaign got underway to help restaurants stay alive through this crisis and asking you to order out. Grace Key reports. It's a little bistro tucked in the corner of South Granville that's had to reinvent itself overnight because of COVID-19. But when one door closes, one window opens. 24 hours later, we have a window. We need to use the window. (laughs) Let's roll with it. (laughs) Like so many others, Stable House Bistro went from dine-in to takeout, adding cook-at-home kits and organic produce bags. We asked General Manager Kim Bush what surprised her the most about the change. How quickly you can reinvent yourself. How quickly, like, how quickly people come together, how quickly the community um, is quick to offer whatever help they can give. According to industry group Restaurants Canada, one in ten restaurants have been forced to close for good. Canada Takeout Day is now a new campaign that hopes to support restaurants now and when social distancing is over. It's going to take some startup capital and it's going to take some time to get up and operating again. And their fear is, of course, as a result of this pandemic, that there's going to be a lot fewer 
uh, restaurants to service the public and the, and the public is going to have less disposable income. Business dropped 50% at Stable House Restaurant and almost half the staff were laid off. To help pay the bills with each gift card purchase, you could ask sommelier Matthew Laundry a wine question and it's an idea that's taken off. Give the gift that says, Mom, I forgot your birthday again. She wants to know about what wine or spirits to pair with bacon. All scotch is whiskey. Not all whiskey is scotch. The kind of wine that just rolls down the chin of Mommy's bad little boy while he's dancing in the discotheque. Like, Weirdly enough, like this is kind of what it's like dating me, just these weird voices and characters. So it's not really comfort zone. I, um, I'm kind of goofy. I'm just... It took a global pandemic for them to allow me to do it on camera. As much as Matthew enjoys donning his wig, he'd rather see his customers face to face. Grace Key, Global News.